0: Hello and welcome to Thanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 29. You've got mail from 1998. I'm Mike Manzi.
1: And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, Mike, to talk about the third and final for now, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan team up. We have one returning champion. She's been on many of our episodes. She has her own podcast here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. We have Cara Gayla O'Regan. Hello, Cara. Hello. You were on our Sleeveless in Seattle episode, so it made sense to bring you back for the other rom I mean, I guess in a sense, Joe vs. the Volcano was kind of a rom-com. I wouldn't (laughs) classify it as rom-com, but it's got rom-com elements. But you were on the officially, the two Nora Ephron, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan rom-coms. So welcome
2: back. Oh, I'm so excited to be here.
1: With us also from across the pond, if you will, from all the way over from jolly old England, we have Liam Underwood. Hello, Liam.
2: Hey,
3: how's it going?
1: Very well, thank you. How are you?
3: Yeah, good, thank you.
1: So thank you so much for joining us on this. I'm glad that we could make, because the five-hour time difference is sometimes tricky, but we it, it, relatively painless getting you on here. I was I was pleased at how we could bring you into the uh, the TomTom Tom Club fold.
3: Yeah, I'm happy to try and fit around your schedules where I can.
1: So I've never seen this movie before last night, and before we get to Mike and Cara, I want to talk to you, Liam, because you're, you're new, you're fresh blood to the podcast podcast. podcast had you ever seen this movie before
3: no I haven't
1: no you haven't okay so why did you sign up for this one for this podcast
3: so I think when you were saying which ones do you want to do I just put my name forward for any that I hadn't seen okay And this was one of them.
1: Wonderful. Now, what is your... Do you have, like, a history with Tom Hanks? Is he one of your favorite actors? Does he have any movies that you particularly love? Or is he just sort of... Are you kind of indifferent to him? You just like some and don't like others?
3: Typically, I like him. He's probably done one of my, like, most favorite bits of acting in any film ever.
0: Oh, what's that?
3: That is in Captain Phillips.
0: Oh, oh mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Do I need to say any more?
1: The, I'm, I'm assuming the end of Captain Phillips?
3: Yeah, I just think that's like probably one of the best bits of acting I've ever seen. But otherwise, I just, you know, it's always nice when you see him crop up. And I kind of grew up on, um, like he was always around in the background on films. So like I maybe wasn't necessarily aware of it, but he was always present. In my life, I guess.
0: That's interesting to hear from from someone uh, born and raised outside of the states. You know, like how far-reaching Hanks's you know appeal and effect is actually. So that's pretty cool because I don't think we've had anyone on yet on Hanks for the memories uh, from another country to sort of give us a bit of that perspective.
1: Yeah, well, he's not just America's dad. I guess he's the world's dad in a, in yeah, a sense, right? Yes. So. But we do know that our uh, Australian listener and past guest on High School Summer Party, Shawnee Mead, your Harry Potter consultant, also on Third Time to Charm, uh, she does not live in America and she. Loves Loves these two Nor Ephron movies more than just about any other movie, as far as I can tell. So Tom Hanks's paternal instincts are are widesprung and far-reaching. Everybody loves Tom Hanks. I also just found while looking on like while le- logging this on Letterboxd, I found another Tom Hanks podcast that's still active. So like I don't know what we're doing, Mike. I don't. Apparently, no one had done Tom Cruise before, but everyone does Tom. Hanks. I, it just he is beloved by people who love movies and love podcasts. Apparently, I don't know. Kara, had you ever seen this one before? or Is this your first time watching it?
2: Uh, I had only seen it once before on a plane. Okay. Either to or from France in like 1999. Oh wow! So it was interesting to see it again. Very, very much different so. than I remembered.
1: Was that a plane where everyone like there's one screen that everybody watched together, or this was this the beginnings of the personalized screens?
2: Beginning of the personalized screens. Yes.
1: You have lots of choices to fly when you fly, and uh, we, we're, we're happy that you chose Tom Hanks. Mike, have you seen this one before, or is this another one of your new rom-com discoveries since you have been you had your mind opened with Sleepless in Seattle?
0: Really? Uh, right. So, like, I guess half and half. Like, I'd, I'd picked up bits and pieces of this movie before. Like, I'd seen it on HBO. And uh, I'd given it, like, a scene tune, And I'd just be like, nope, like, I am not interested in this. Like, it's just not my cup of tea right now. And, I, and I'd never seen the whole thing entirely through until, until now. And I think after my sort of awakening from fl- Sleepless in Seattle. I loved it. I thought it was just a delight. So watching it for the first time all the way through, sure, you know, it's got problems from the era it was made and everything. It's all It's got a little baggage. But yeah, this was the first time I saw it and I enjoyed it. Well, then let's start there. Mike, what was your favorite part of this movie? Is there something about this that stands out above the rest
1: as your favorite part of You've Got Mail? I was
0: uh, i was expecting to do a quick plot summary first, Joe. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: I'm getting, one of these days I'm going to remember, I guess when I don't have the pressure of summarizing the movie I don't it's not on my brain but yes please if people don't know what you've got, I, th- I also feel like this is the kind of movie that you might not know the specific details but even if you haven't seen this movie I think you get a gist of like what it's about kind of but you know for people who like the four of us who had never really seen it before or not since a plane 20 years ago uh, please let us people know uh, what you've got mail is about
0: and I feel like I've been getting the easy ones too so uh, this is pretty pretty simple one here Meg Ryan plays Kathleen Kelly who runs the shop around the corner which is a children's book bookstore that's been in Manhattan forever and Tom Hanks plays Joe Fox, who is from this big corporate family who runs a big box store like Barnes & Noble's. Fox Books. Fox Books, going to come encroaching into the neighborhood and put Meg Ryan out of business. Um, So they are professional rivals in the neighborhood and don't get along whatsoever, kind of hate each other. But they don't realize that they are also secret pen pals that they met in an internet chat room and have been sending each other emails every few days or so. And they love to wake up in the morning to those three men words you've got mail throughout the movie they correspond without knowing that they basically are in love with each other while in sort of like real life they keep getting on each other's nerves tom hanks isn't exactly like the greatest guy in this movie i've realized going through it but it's still light and fluffy let's see what he puts her out of business she actually actually cannot sustain her store while the big box company is uh putting up shop around the corner.
2: And and not just that, but he's also engaging in, in a kind of, I'm, I'm not sure we have a word for this, but a catfishing adjacent behavior where like he's fully aware yep. of the situation yep. and she has no idea. He continues to be this great, nice, empathetic, sensitive guy on the internet and then in real life like can't channel those same feelings and it's just like a total dick so that's also problematic. Yeah
1: there are weird power dynamics that we are going to get into in full detail later in this because I, I have
0: issues. I have lots of issues um, but go ahead Mike cont- please continue. Yeah I was just about to get to that that he finds out that they set up a date to meet online and he gets there and finds out that it's Meg Ryan and he doesn't exactly know what to do at first but then he goes in and he starts like this gaslight campaign to like sort of make himself look better and make the guy on Online, look a little worse somehow, and this is where the movie starts to sort of like lose that extra star for me. Like you guys said, we'll get there. Ultimately, what happens is Meg Ryan does find out that Tom Hanks is the man online, and at that point, she's cool with it, she's glad that it's him, she wants it to be him, and then they end the movie together and presumably go off happily ever after. The end. Now, did you know? Did anybody know, I only learned this when I looked it up
1: on IMDb last night, that this is a remake of a 1940 movie starring James Stewart called The Shop Around the Corner. Yes. Where he and Margaret Sullivan are pen pals to a certain extent, and they, you know, get together in the end. There are other remakes, other iterations throughout history, but this is, I mean, again, not that, like, any of these movies are really telling a, a wildly unique story it's more of a putting the same kind of story in a new framing device but i did not know that this was a uh, a remake and i think that there's a, a nice little nod to the original title with the name of her bookstore but mike favorite part what do you love about this movie? What's your favorite part of *You've Got Mail*?
0: Oh dear. I mean, I love Meg Ryan. <laughs> like, I just, um, like every scene she's in is fantastic. Like, I love her bookstore. Like, I love the people who work at her bookstore. I love that whole environment and how it's bustling and the energy there. And I know I, wa- I watched this movie because I was, ex- I was just, you know, not expecting any explosions or shootings or, or, or crime or, or intrigue or espionage. Or, we've had a lot of that lately. So this was a like, really nice sort of. Palette cleanser for, to a degree. I'd say, like, anytime Meg Ryan's on the screen, she steals the show, like, just in general for me. And uh, I like her her storyline and stuff. But my favorite specific things about this movie is sort of the way Nora Ephron constructs certain scenes and sequences. And I brought this up with um, Sleepless in Seattle when I love the scene where she's, like, listening to the show in the car on the ride home in the, in the opening of that movie, sort of. And in this, she does moments like when Hanks goes in to meet her and she doesn't know that he's You know the guy online. Like that scene just goes on and on and on. And there's other scenes like that too. And I just love that the movie doesn't cut in traditional ways or isn't written specifically like you know other types of movies. And this is the rom com uh, sort of formula. I feel like at work that it's uh, if it's done right, it's comfortable resting and exploring like in a scene for as long as it takes. And I really like that about this movie too. So I'd say like like on a grand scale, like those are the two things that uh, really engaged me.
1: Yeah, you just seem like they kind of they seem linked in a way that like whenever you just get to see meg ryan kind of just doing her thing and just exploring the character or just her relationship to the world and also to tom hanks it just seems like that's kind of your your sweet spot your your warm cuppa that this movie you know might be Liam, what about you? Because I know that Mike really, really liked this movie. What did you think of the movie overall? And then did you have a favorite part or a favorite moment or a favorite scene or character? Or any of that good stuff.
3: Uh, so yeah, overall, kind of agree. Like, I, I'm i a fan of rom-coms typically. So I kind of, this has obviously been on my radar for a while. I've just never actually watched it. And it was it was pleasant. I was enjoying it until you get to that bit where like Tom Hanks' character starts getting all the information and then uses it to his advantage. And it's just, that didn't quite sit right. Mm-hmm. It's still, you know enjoyable enough um but for me like the absolute scene stealer was any time heather burns was on screen i just oh, yeah. found myself captivated by her and her character
1: i thought she was great and i know that we're not supposed to root for her but i think parker posey is great like there's these like secondary like meg ryan is obviously a scene stealer but like heather burns and parker posey in this movie i was just like please like give me more of them
3: yeah and dave chappelle
1: Dave Chappelle too? Yeah. There was a movie recently that we did in the last like five or six, I think, Hanks movies that Dave Chappelle was supposed to act in and then didn't. There was some movie that
0: maybe they thought, was it? Oh, Forrest Gump, maybe?
1: Might have been. He was offered and he's like, nah, I don't want to do that. Oh yeah, because
0: he was supposed to be Bubba.
1: Yeah. And I think he thought it was going to be like, it was a dumb plot or dumb script or it wasn't going to work or whatever. And he's like, oh no. And then finally, here we are, you know, four or five years later, four years later, and he's finally getting that, uh, that Tom Hanks role alongside Tom Hanks. So Hank's bringing Steve Zahn along too. I like that. <laughs> from the thing you do so all the way from uh the own eaters yeah 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 but yeah no absolutely i'm glad you brought her up because i sort of you know i watched this movie last night and i'm i think her she's kind of got like a thankless role in a way liam that she's she's just there as the support like she's kind of yeah. i don't remember who the equivalent for meg ryan would have been i don't remember the actor but like she's kind of like the rosie O'Donnell to tom hanks in Sleepers in seattle just like that sounding board that advice giver like it's kind of a difficult role to stand up but man she's she's really goodness
3: yeah, and that whole scene where they're
0: talking about cyber sex was something that I just wasn't expecting. I love that
2: scene so much. How was this movie rated PG? Hey, it was the 90s. Yeah,
0: and cyber sex was new, so no one knew what the hell they were talking about. The censor.
2: But sex is in the word.
0: I suppose, but there's no physical contact, right? So maybe there's a loophole. Maybe the sensors just didn't understand what they were listening to.
2: Yeah, that's actually a, a really good chance. There's a good chance that that is true. I
0: guess so, yeah. So, Carol, what about you? Was the cyber
1: sex scene your favorite scene? Or is there something about this movie that you liked more?
2: Okay, so I said that this movie is very problematic, but I loved it. Okay. Unexpectedly, I didn't like it the last time i saw it i thought it was real dumb but it's actually great in spite of all of its problems which i also was wondering we talked about this when we did sleepless in seattle that like sleepless in seattle was almost like a not necessarily an anti-rom-com but like it was kind of turned on its axis a little Mm -hmm. bit and i feel like this is as well and that like the problematic aspects of it are maybe a little bit conscious i'm not sure I'm trying to justify why I enjoyed this so much, perhaps, because I did yell a lot at the end of the movie, but other than that, enjoyed it. Did you like this
1: one or did you like Sleepless more?
2: This one more, definitely.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
2: Yeah, because on the first watch when I watched Sleepless in Seattle, I hated it. And then I had to watch it again and was like, okay, maybe I don't hate this. I think my favorite thing, though, is just the time capsule of it all. The amount of nostalgia that I feel for this era of technology and the internet is so strong. And they capture it so wonderfully in this movie. And I enjoyed that about it. Because it's really hard to make a movie or anything about computer stuff and especially like earlier on in 1998 there wasn't like a lot of examples of like how to do that well uh, where you like see people on a computer and they're having an exchange Um, and I thought that they were able to like integrate the email and the instant messaging in a very like natural way that didn't feel too forced.
0: Yeah, it's always tough because of how quick technology changes, but I too was loving that this took place in sort of the age of AOL, where no one, you know, is still dialing it up. No one thought it could get faster. And we also have like Greg Kinnear is this sort of like this technophobe, you know, where he's like, keep using the, the typewriter, man. She's like, but the computer and he's like, nah, paper.
3: It was fun just hearing the dial tone as well. That brought back a lot of memories. Oh
0: god, I love that noise. I
1: thought the movie did it like unknowingly, obviously because this is 22 years ago. But it had like a a real ability to pile nostalgia on top of nostalgia. Like, the fact this is all about bookstores, mm. that's also an antiquated thing. I mean, there's still bookstores still exist. You know, both local stores and big box chains and stuff like that. But it feels like this movie, without knowing. Or maybe knowing, I don't know, is able to pile all these different kinds of nostalgia, all these different kinds of like antiquated or what would soon become antiquated technology or antiquated ideas atop one another.
2: Yeah, and it's it's what's so interesting about watching this now. To me, this movie, like, yes, it's a rom-com, but there are like kind of two main themes that have nothing to do with the romantic comedy aspects of it. One of which is like the corporatization of commerce and like big box stores putting out mom and pop shops and et cetera, which now that the entirety of manhattan has been decimated by exactly that and even the big box stores are being put out of business by amazon it's like an interesting time to revisit this and then like the other main theme being that kind of like technology versus luddite analog versus digital struggle that is uh you know timeless
0: yeah Yeah, it'd be wild to see a remake of this now with, like, Kindles involved and all. Like, could you do that? Like, I mean, you could still got mail, but you'd have to probably ditch the whole book business thing and make it some kind of other business nowadays.
2: Well, it'd be DMs, not email, for sure.
0: You got someone
1: sliding into your DMs, got mail. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking it'd be a modern day equivalent, kind of, like, because the whole, like, the way that they meet, we don't see them meet, but she tells the story of how they met is that she's like, when I turned 30, I'm like, on a joke, I just went into an over 30 chat room. And I was just like okay, like, I guess that's how you have to explain this. But I was thinking as I become more and more obsessed with TikTok, but don't post because I don't feel like I belong there to post. But I do love lurking on TikTok because it's amazing. This is a side tangent, but it's fine. Uh, I saw a comment this morning on somebody just like, somebody just posted like, when did everybody become so talented? Like there's so many people doing incredible, amazing art things on TikTok of all kinds. It's just like, where, where has all this been living? Like, how are people so good at everything? Like, it's amazing. The reason I bring up TikTok is because there's also this trend of like, when somebody is over 30 or over 40, they kind of post a introductory video and like it's hey i'm here this is maybe not for me but i'm also here too and it feels like that's kind of the modern day equivalent like in a weird way meg ryan's like oh i wasn't supposed to be online but i'm because i'm over 30 but here i am and then i found this guy and i was just thinking maybe that's the modern day equivalent i don't know like dating apps like there's dating app rom-com i don't know it just there's a lot of ways you could take a modern day reboot of this but i don't know what it would actually be it would be hard to pull off
0: yeah yeah, that would be a lot more dick pics.
2: Yeah. Oh, no, not all the dick pics, but that would be a major component of the book. Cuz it feels like
0: all you could really do back then online was check the news and go in random chat room.
2: There is more than that, but yeah.
0: Well, a little a little more, but like, I just, it, you know, now there's so much more to do with the with the computer. You might even have to, yeah, you have to like, leave that all behind. It's all done on the phone now.
2: I spent a long time this morning reading the Wikipedia article for America Online, or AOL, as we know it now. And did you know that at one point in like 1998 and 1999, 50% of all the CDs manufactured in the world hadn't aol logo on it i believe it because they had this and this marketing campaign is kind of like legendary and studied they had this direct marketing campaign where they were distributing these cds for years years and years and years and years to try and like get new customers even though they were already bundling it with windows yeah there's just landfills full of aol cds
1: I don't want to get too far into the weeds here in terms of technology, but I'm sure this is something that Kara is, to some extent, knowledgeable, passionate about. And I also don't know the full get in the weeds. Get in the weeds. My boss just wrote a blog this past week about how, like, he remembers back in like 1998, 1999, where like somebody, like, they were talking about the launch of a new website, and the guy, somebody asked, "Is that a Netscape?" Like, there was a very Mm. specific time period in the late 90s where like there were just different portals. Like, the Mm -hmm. internet was AOL, the internet was Netscape, or whatever. Now, in a weird way, as we're kind of privatizing the internet sort of like we're kind of returning to it's not crazy to think in five or ten years that like you just go to the amazon internet and everything is there or the facebook internet and everything is there and in a weird way everything that is old is new again and just the segmentation of technology and the way that things are separate it's all it's it's a weird thing how this thing that seems totally outdated and antiquated and alien to how we are always online now is actually kind of in a way kind of not coming back in vogue but kind of coming back possibly it's weird
2: that's the natural cycles of the universe if you just zoom out a little bit you see that this happens with all things and especially technology ain't nothing wrong with
1: that i mean it's 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 strange but yeah just the the ebbs and flows of time right timey wimey mm-hmm. time's a flat circle jeremy bear wobbly. all that
2: timey wimey stuff yeah. yeah
1: i'm trying to think what my favorite part of this i love how much just because of his commitment to it how much tom hanks's character loves the God and apparently Tom Hanks, the actor, is obsessed with Godfather. That uh, Alec Baldwin has said that he and both Tom Hanks and Rob Reiner are Godfather aficionados and they host viewing parties and they do like, really? They act out scenes and stuff like that. And they apparently call this the Tau of the Godfather. So this is something that I think Tom Hanks brought to the role. Not only that, but also I was thinking because Tom Hanks loves typewriters and seeing Greg Kinnear collect typewriters in this, I was just like, there's a little bit more Hanksism there. Um, I also love that uh, Hanks juggles. Mike, I'm sure you saw the juggling.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Hanks has juggled in a bunch of things going all the way back to Bosom Buddies.
0: Uh, Joey, did you get the, I don't know if this was an in-joke or not, but the caviar joke, where in Big, he hated the caviar, but in this, he loves the caviar. Absolutely.
1: There's a lot of Tom Hanks-isms that I think work really well here, because I think that this is the kind of movie, I like this one, I think, less than Sleepless. I think it felt very similar to me to Sleepless in a lot of ways. I think what you were saying, Kara, about the turning it on its axis, I was like, oh, I feel like I've kind of seen this type of twist on the rom-com before, not that long ago, when we did Sleepless, you know, probably three months ago or whatever, right? Like, I felt like I had seen this before and seen this recently. i not saying it was bad, but saying I was kind of hoping for more, because this is, I think, both of these are seen as these landmarks in rom-com history, and these, like, hallmarks, these mile markers, whatever, these high points of the the genre, and I just, I was kind of a little underwhelmed, and I think part of that, we can maybe transition to the back half now, and I think what Liam was saying, what Liam, I know you wrote in your letterbox, it it bothered me, too. Like, there is such a weird power dynamic in the back half here, where Tom Hanks knows so much more about everything, and we're still supposed to root for him, and it's weird that, like, he's being, in a way, sweet and cute to her, but it's like, why is this happening? I don't understand why there's such an unlevel semblance of power between him and meg ryan and then at the end when he finally reveals himself to her like he's basically positioning himself as an alternative to himself right like he's just like i wish that you know if i hadn't put you out of business we could have gone out like i would have had coffee or whatever and then like she meets her date a couple hours later and it's him and then she's happy about it and i get that but i'm also like this guy just lied to you for months or weeks or whatever like how do you feel safe? how do you feel like you trust him yeah bad
2: foundation for the beginning of a relationship
1: and like she's like crying she's so like i wish i was i was hoping it was you i was hoping i wanted to be you i wanted to be you so badly i'm just like no like get away like run
0: i think we all have the same sort of issues with it the way i was sort of able to kind of i guess deal with it or accept it is like fairy tale maybe like this is like a modern fairy tale and it needs like a happy ending and i don't i i don't know but like i am also very confused when the movie just sort of becomes this other movie towards the third act here but yeah I'm still sort of like putting thoughts together about it to be honest.
2: Well I talked a lot about magical thinking in the Sleepless in Seattle episode and I feel like this is like another example of just somebody just really and and like this is kind of a requirement of the romantic comedy genre is that people engage in this kind of thinking otherwise the movies would never work.
0: Yeah and I think I think part of what helps me accept it is that Hanks is at least pleasant you know it's not like he's being I mean it's not coming across as great don't get me wrong but No this is abuse No it is
2: It definitely falls into that category even if he is being nice but, but he's
0: like but i think like he's it, i mean it helps that it's tom hanks of course but also that like i don't think that, like i think you mentioned earlier kara that there's like a an, an edge of self-awareness to all of this types of behavior and like the yeah. movie knows it's wrong because like the other movie sleepless in seattle had like stalker elements to it as well and like this definitely does too and like this shit does not fly in 2020 i'm not saying it didn't 98 either but it is you know written and directed by women and so they know what they're doing and i just have to sort of put my faith in and what's on screen to a degree and and say like okay like it got on screen so like it's there i just have to like deal with it
2: yeah and i i think the fact that it is self-aware and it is written and directed by women adds a kind of consciousness of yes this power dynamic in this movie is off but so often out in the world, in real life, the power dynamic between women and men in relationships, whether it's in the workplace or in romantic relationships or when those things collide or however the math works out, that's not uncommon for there to be a massive power differential. So I think that that kind of plays into this also
1: shouldn't we try to strive for better or is this trying to tell like a realistic story it feels artificial like on purpose like this is supposed to be like a fantasy right like it's supposed to be like this like this idealized love story
2: no i don't think so no i mean i don't think it's supposed to be a fantasy and i don't think it's supposed to be realistic either i think it's somewhere just to the left of that
0: I think what's awkward too, what I didn't expect from this movie was right from the jump, we find out that they're sort of emotionally cheating on their significant others, right? By doing this sort of email back and forth kind of thing, they feel like they're cheating, all this kind of stuff. So like the movie's asking me to like these people, even though they're right off the bat, they're like going behind their partner's back and like you know keeping secrets. Well they're and imperfect
2: like, characters you know just as as human beings are imperf- imperfect yeah.
0: Yeah I, yeah I think that helps it for me not justify but like I guess rationalize or like accept accept their behavior like these are not perfect people and they're not trying to portray them that way.
2: Yeah, and this movie, like, it's not they're not doing activism here. Like they're not trying to make some big statement about women's economic prospects and romantic prospects and whatever. I don't think it's really that deep. But I also don't think it's a straight rom-com that that is a, like that fantasy world. And I also don't think it's, you know, trying to make a movie that reflects real life. It's somewhere else.
1: Liam, what do you think about all this? Where do you fall on this? Whether this is a good thing or a bad thing or something that we're just, you know, should accept or not.
3: Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, right? Because I totally kind of agree with what's being said. And it's it, I, I also wasn't expecting this to kind of almost open with the two main characters in relationships and then essentially emotionally uh, cheating. So that was unexpected. I think for me, the issue is just the fact that Tom Hanks uses... Kind of the information that he's getting from his online persona to almost like help the relationship that he's trying to build as himself with her. That's the bit that just feels a little bit sleazy almost. For me, it's so strange that she just so quickly is forgiving and that's it. That's the end. There's no like hesitation. It's just immediate like, yeah, I'm cool with this. But again, like, I don't know how common was this kind of thing in, what, 98 when it came out?
1: I don't know, Mike, you were probably in the over 30 chat rooms in (laughs) 1998, right? How common was this?
0: I I mean, I remember going into chat rooms and meeting people and, like, uh, getting phone numbers and having conversations once or twice and then, like, never talking to those people again and losing touch immediately and things. But, like, I I wouldn't really know. I would just imagine, like, I think Kara sort of mentioned earlier, too, there wasn't really a term for it yet, but, like, catfishing, right? Like, I feel like there was probably more of that going on than any of us really realized. Probably before the internet, too, with just, like, pen pal kind of stuff. I would say that this is probably one of the more best-case scenarios of what would go down.
1: Yeah. Well, like, it's made out to be so harmless. Like, it's supposed to be so, like, harmless and meaningless in a way, right? Like, it's clear, like, from the jump, from the beginning of this movie, we know that they both live in New York. They apparently live, you know, both in the same neighborhood in New York. But it seems like they have never had the inclination, the desire, the whatever, to meet each other in real life. That they're just like, this is what this is, and we're just chatting online and it feels like the stakes could not be lower which is sort of strange I think to me but if that's actually the case of how it was then I kind of get it but it's almost at the same time it's like especially when it seems like there's maybe like a dozen people in this chat room or whatever like wouldn't you like if you both live in the same city in the same side like wouldn't you want to just be like hey maybe I can turn this online friend into a real friend because it doesn't seem like either of them are shy or awkward in real life like they're both outgoing Tom Hanks is a successful businessman Meg Ryan's is a successful small business owner they're both outgoing and personable and at parties and it feels like there's no reason for them to not want to be like hey like let's just you know see not even like as a dating thing just be like hey let's be friends in real life like it just feels like that's not the world like it just feels like the, the stakes are so weirdly low it's just a strange it's a strange kind of thing
3: you find out quite early on that they've set up some like very basic rules of nothing like no information that's too personal so i think that almost kind of is why they're not like too keen to jump into meeting
1: But do you think that that's because of what they were doing, like what people were doing in real life, or is that just a convention for the movie?
3: I mean, I know when I first started going on the internet, and it could just be because, you know, I was like 12 at the time, but there was very much that like stranger danger of not revealing personal information which is now completely opposite.
2: Which also I would point out that Tom Hanks has his street address in his screen name. The number of his building, what is it? 152 is in his screen name. And I was like, what are you doing, Tom? You can't, this is not what you do. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely that stranger danger of like, this could be literally anyone, probably a murderer, you know, and, and like the stakes are higher for women in those kinds of situations when you're going to meet somebody who could potentially murder you for Forever. you know so like that's that's one reason not to meet in real life and the other thing is that like this doesn't go on for too long before they do try and meet like that attempted meeting actually happens relatively early in the movie but
0: how long have they been chatting before the movie begins
2: who knows i don't think it matters
0: not sure but i'll tell you like i definitely did not expect this to go the way it did and i wonder if that's part of the reason it's written that way because i i just thought oh they're gonna meet and be like, you? Oh, no. And then the second half of the movie would be both of them sort of realizing, oh, they are made for each other. I, and, you know, so part of me wonders is, did they go the route of one finds out, the other doesn't just for the sake of it being different, you know, than, you know, what you might normally expect, like that unconventional route? Or is it also just trying to also like bleed in a little more reality of what would probably actually happen into this fantasy?
1: I don't know. Is it weird or is it like rom-com cutesy that Tom Hanks is an 11-year-old
0: aunt and a four-year-old brother? Oh, thank Thank you. Love it. Thank you for bringing that up. That's one of the most clever parts of writing, I think, of the entire movie. So you like that. I wish his aunt was a little older. It's kind of weird when you see his, you know, her dad, his grandpa, and he's like, I don't know, basically like a step out of the hospital. It's <laughs> like he looks like he's on his way out. But otherwise, no, I always was very intrigued by when that kind of stuff would happen, when like people would have younger uncles or, you know, Hanks and his brother are what, like 25 years apart I thought it was funny I thought it added to the calm of the rom-com it's like oh here's a real crazy mixed up white family it feels
1: like they're trying to make a thing like he's just like, we're an American family and like, don't, how dare you have a problem with it? how dare Well, you question? I feel like this
2: is such a billionaire thing to say that like he thinks that this is an example of like, you know, a patchwork true American family when it's like they're, they're all white. They're all still like totally related to each other. Their ages just have to happen to be off because the rich old men fucked a bunch of extremely young women. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, it's not that that's not an American family, but like an American family is probably a lot more, you know, people of different races and and genders and sexual orientations and that kind of thing. And this is just like the billionaire's idea of, of what that really means.
0: I think it spoke volumes of his, like, values immediately, or the family right. values immediately.
2: As the dynasty situation.
1: I thought it would have been very fitting in a Tom Hanks career if at the end, like, he reveals himself at the date. And I understand that why that's the, maybe the right way to do it or whatever. But, like, a scene or two before that, he and Meg Ryan are sitting on a park bench, and it feels like he's about to tell her. And I would have been, like, knowing that his maybe most famous role of all time is Forrest Gump, and the wisdom that comes with sitting on a park bench there. Like, how fitting would it have been in a Tom Hanks movie for him to reveal who he actually is while on a park bench but then they stand up and they walk away i'm just like oh ne- never mind like i'm looking for connections i guess that aren't actually there
3: i was waiting in, in like the last act for a moment where she figures it out where like maybe he uses some information that she's told him via the messaging and then that's what like the penny drops for her and she figures it out on her own
0: Yeah, I was hoping for something like that too, where she might figure it out and then toy with him, like sort of get back at him a little bit for a scene or two, and then be like, okay, like he's not going to tell me, like, okay, bye. And then when he finally does come around the corner, be like, oh, okay. Yeah,
1: Kara, what did you think about that? Because it feels like she could have been given more agency or more actual, you know, literally anything to do. Like, it seems like she's reacting to everything in this entire movie. As Mm -hmm. Like, the only thing that she really ever goes out is she, she goes to the mattresses, as Tom Hanks quotes the godfather to her. But then her going to the mattress is just like, hey, my boyfriend, can you write about me in your newspaper, please? Thank you. And like, that seems like all, that's all that she does, kind of. Like, everything else is just her reacting to Tom Hanks changing her life, both in terms of business and in terms of, like, personal life.
2: Yeah that's not great you know but again is that on purpose who knows
0: what if the remake of this what if the split and the change and the sort of the reboot aspect is she finds out instead of him and then she can mess with him for the last like act of the movie and then at the end declare nope i don't want to be with you yeah so i think that's what liam was saying like it's just like the opportunity to like
1: have her actually be an intelligent person and then like mess around with like just give her the ability to do anything
2: yeah but also i mean i'm curious and this is just not how uh this works but I, it's like we see like the last scene in the movie is that day that she finds out and they're like in that garden and then the movie ends. But like, what happens the next day? Does she get mad? She should. Yeah, because I want to see that movie.
0: Yeah, and then she has to go and like be introduced to Dabney Coleman and everyone. Like these are the people who like ran her out of business, and now what? They're gonna be like yeah. family. What are they gonna do? Like give her her store That's back? It's never
2: gonna stop being a problem. Yeah.
0: Well, it seems like the movie is setting her up to work
1: as a menial minimum wage earner in the children's book section of Fox Books. Yeah.
2: Which, um, I don't know if you guys recognized him, but a young Chris is the guy working oh. there in the children's section. Okay. Yeah.
1: I do want to point out that this is a Christmas movie, at least one scene, Indeed. at least a little bit of the movie takes place at Christmas, so that's always important to point out.
2: Nora Ephron is so good at seasons. Like, they start in the fall, which I think, if you ever make a movie, this is a great idea. Start in the fall when it's beautiful and then let it run through the Christmas season when you have all the fun lights and then it's a Christmas movie and everybody loves Christmas movies. What a smart thing to do.
1: I like Jane Addams and I'm glad that Jane Addams was in this as her awkward on TV uh, flirty with Greg Kinnear.
3: That was a strange scene.
1: Yeah like it's the weird kind of thing where it's like you go out to a restaurant and the waitress is like kind of flirty with you because she is you know that's her job to be pleasant and getting a bigger tip or whatever but like and you leave you're like oh I think that I think she wants to date me but then in this situation it's like the waitress is flirting with you but also she wants to date you and she's surprised that you're flirting back you're supposed to be like this like weird kind of flirty interview thing on tv but then both i don't know it just it's a strange it's the kind of thing you normally see but then it's on both sides it's like wait why why is it both
0: ways like it's weird what so that's just this is just comedy logic like this was this exact same scene was in mars attacks for crying out loud where like sarah jessica parker was interviewing Piers brosnan the scientist and michael j fox is like are they flirting what's going on here so like i think that's just like let's beef up greg because Kin- greg Kinnear's character i was shocked how he lasted through the entire movie and sort of gets elevated and then there's another i think this is just classic Ephron where it's just like a mutual breakup scene that goes perfectly please say Nora Ephron, because yeah. when you say Ephron, to me and liam it's a different Efron. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Like, I think it's one of her trademarks, maybe where there's like the most mutual breakup on screen ever. I think this is even better than the one uh, or even bigger than the one in Sleepless in Seattle.
2: I think breakups are more broadly, actually. And it's not just Nora Ephron. She wrote this movie with her sister Delia, who was her writing partner in a lot of things. More broadly, Ephron as well.
1: The only other note that I had, and this has nothing to do really with this movie, but when, when Tom Hanks is telling the story about, he's like, let me tell you about my neighborhood. And there's a flower truck and it pours all this flour like a ton of flour into the you know the basement blah 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 and flour just punctuates the sky and i was just like i wonder if jillian flynn got that for gone girl because that's such like a a, iconic moment i think in gone girl where like ben affleck both to the amazing amy but then also whatever emily radikowski's character whatever her in the book and in the movie but like he does the same thing where like there's like the flower and he goes around and just like smudges it off her cheek like as it's like a really tender moment but anyway when rosamund pike sees him do that to emily radikowski like the way that she fell in love with him he's doing to this other girl at the same time and i was like i don't know that i've ever seen a movie capture the flower in the morning of New York City or at late at night or whatever in a way that Gone Girl did and then all of a sudden they're talking about it here and I was like I wonder if they took or if that's just like a known thing but it feels like a very kind of specific romantic even though in this movie it's not romantic it's just like a hey let me tell you about my neighborhood I drew a comparison there and I thought it was interesting because I'd never read about that or seen that or heard that or whatever in anything else and then to be so kind of similar but different in a way I was like I wonder if that's kind of an illusion or taken from or a reference from one to the other
2: interesting speaking of flowers Ha <laughs> ha different kind of flower Flower district yeah they talk about the flower district and how there's all those different shops all right next to each other so you can go in and find exactly what you need and they're technically competing with each other but not putting each other out of business Uh, it's a little more complicated than that but that's not what i was gonna say what i was gonna say is one of the other things that i love about this movie and about nora evron movies in general always is her set dressing is always very rich and detailed and there's always flowers and i love that in this movie there is a distinct difference between the flower arrangements in Meg Ryan's sphere of like social world and then the Fox world they're a lot more elaborate like they're just fancier and more expensive and there's like a distinct difference between those two things and I enjoyed that about it.
1: They even call attention to it right when like Tom Hanks's dad is in the relationship with the with the woman who's like a sculptor or an artist of some kind and she's like making these like very elaborate like it's just like the set decoration the like the artistry the actual literal art and beauty of the world around them is also like a in this movie which i'm glad you brought that up um liam any other thoughts about you've got mail before we play a couple games
3: um it did make me want to visit new york
1: have you never
2: done that
3: no it's on my bucket list
2: uh it's not like this anymore
3: oh <laughs> that's a shame
2: <laughs> i mean well so like there's there's all the little storefronts that they show here with like the neon signs and the hand-painted signs and they're all they've all been replaced by chase banks Back in the springtime, a friend of mine who lives in California now, who's originally from the East Coast, was visiting with her boyfriend who grew up in California and had never been to New York City. And so I was going to, well, they were, we were going to like, you know, spend a day in the city and see things. And then I was like, you guys don't want to go to museums. And I literally don't know where else to take you because everything like nothing that like i enjo- enjoyed about new york is there anymore because it's just all been run out by yeah chains and uh, high-end real estate most of which is empty and it's just like this weird dystopian future city that ev- where everything is a mall
3: right, i'll scratch it off the bucket list then
2: <laughs> no, I mean, definitely come see it. Well, something that I pointed out to them was that, like, something incredible about New York is the scale of things. Like, the concentration of people and the size of the buildings and the sprawl of it um, is, is really um, something really, I guess, interesting, too. I took them on the subway. We went to Midtown during rush hour. That was an experience for them. So, you know, they're still they're still new york to be had it's just like if you come here expecting this version of new york you might be a little disappointed Yeah, just
1: watch fate of the furious and see cypher controlling all those cars and that's basically new york now yeah
2: that's that's a lot more like what it is
3: still sounds interesting yeah it is i did want to ask as well has anyone ever done anything like in this movie of like the whole online relationship thing
1: I think we've told the story on multiple podcasts, but, like, I met Joe, not that we're dating, but, like, I've met Joe too, playing Halo 2. Like, I've developed friendships and stuff, like, close friendships online, but never, like, a romantic thing.
3: I see. I didn't know that.
1: Oh, yeah. Me and Joe, too, played Halo, two. Like, we just randomly got paired up with each other in, a uh, in like, in different groups in, like, one game. And then we just sort of played with them. And then that was back in 2004, 2005. And then, yeah, the first time I ever met him in person was when I drove cross-country and stayed with him and his family in Pittsburgh. And then he moved to Connecticut. Now, you know, now hundreds of podcast episodes later, here we are. But, yeah, no, we, again, not romantic. But, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, you know, the internet is a wonderful place.
3: One of my exes um, was in Canada, and we met, about 10 years after this film on a website called Stickham, if anyone's familiar. It's like a video website type thing. And that was like a year long relationship where I flew out and met her a couple of times and then it all went horribly wrong. But I've never done, like, just the just the text part. I've always needed, you know, like, visual confirmation that they're who they say they are.
2: Well, yes, that's wise. I mean, the fact I'm obsessed with the show Catfish and the fact that it's still on the air and that people are still getting catfished is truly mind-boggling to me because it's like, come on. We, we know better now. But I do have a question, which is, in England, do you have, it's a common trope, in american things that like a nerd might be like i have a girlfriend she lives in canada so you don't know her
3: yeah yeah we have something similar except it's not quite as like grand as that it would normally just be like oh yeah they they go to a different school
2: right okay
1: carol what about you any other last thoughts about you've got mail
2: Okay, ladies, if you have to wait until your boyfriend leaves the building to turn on your computer, it is time to dump him. Cause she does that at the beginning of the movie because Greg Kinnear is like so anti-technology. She has to wait until he leaves the apartment. I also love that little like trot she does around the apartment checking. But yeah, what the fuck?
1: I also did like later though. I mean, it's it's not a good thing, but when uh, she's emailing or maybe she, I think it's when she's IMing with Tom Hanks, and then he unexpectedly, Greg Kinnear unexpectedly comes back into the bedroom, um, and like the. The way that she stashes the laptop under the blanket and then, like, cash like sprawls out, like, in her sweatpants, and everything. Just like, that's amazing acting. Like, she shouldn't have to hide the computer, but just the way that she does it, I just like, that's wonderful.
2: Yeah. Um, why isn't Meg Ryan in more things? We don't deserve her and we did her dirty, and I feel bad that Meg Ryan doesn't work more now because she's wonderful. Oh, they both share a weird school supply fetish, it seems right? They, they're like emailing about bouquets of pencils and then she's like smelling the scotch tape. Oh, there's four employees in that tiny little bookstore all on the clock at once. What was happening in the 90s? Is that a real thing? that That four people would be on the clock all at once? Oh, their old book keeper like the older woman who works in the small store Uh, it turns out that she's actually really rich because she bought stock in Intel at $6 which made me laugh really hard but then also worry about her because in like two years from when this movie takes place the dot com bubble is gonna burst and I'm just I'm concerned about you know her retirement oh when the store is closing this was I think maybe the only time that I like really cried in this movie was uh, the store is closing and there's a woman who it says to make Ryan. I remember when your mother gave me Anne of Green Gables. She said, read it with a box of Kleenex. And that just made me cry really hard because I love Anne of Green Gables so much. It's very important to me. And yes, you should read it with a box of tissues. I love the 3D rendering of Manhattan at the very beginning, like the opening credit sequence. It's so 1998. It's wonderful. I
0: wondered if we were back in the net at that moment. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Apparently, I was reading that Nora Ephron wanted that to capture the uh, Windows 95, Windows 98 aesthetic, and I think uh, she nailed it. It definitely nailed it, yeah.
3: I had to rewind that bit just because I, I really enjoyed the cut between like the computer bit and then the guy in the red like jogging past the screen
0: mike any other thoughts any other notes about uh you've got mail no not really um i thought it was very pleasant it was pretty much what i hoped for you know for the most part i expected it to get a little weirder because i knew sleepless in seattle kind of took some of its own turns and you know it's its own does its own thing i don't know which one i like more i think i like i think right now i like sleepless more because it's got like the kid and everything involved and um I don't know maybe it's a little more grounded it's a little a little I'm not, I'm not saying it's grounded entirely but i'm saying it's a little less of a fantasy i think like this just feels more like storybook from the start um but overall like a uh, great hanks ryan trilogy over here on hanks for the memories so i uh, was not expecting to go three for three with these movies but definitely joe the volcano sleepless in seattle and you've got mail check them out
1: Two the little bits of trivia very quickly nor efron arranged meg ryan and heather burns to work in a real new york city bookstore in preparation for their roles to filming so they both worked at the books of wonder in manhattan for about a week before they filmed the movie so i guess they need to know uh you know what it was like to work in a bookstore when tom hanks is leaving the bookstore when with his aunt and his brother and he traps the one balloon in the door, and he opens the door back up, and he says, good thing that wasn't the fish. It's a classic Tom Hanks improv line that Nora Ephron liked so much that she left in the movie. Um, And I think that's all of the the notes, all the trivia that I have. So, very important question here. Uh, Liam and Kara and Mike, do you think if Tom Cruise played the role of Joe, Joe Fox, would this movie have worked? If not, do you think that there's another place in this movie that Tom Cruise would fit, um, if not for the Tom Hanks part?
2: I think it would be a lot more sinister if he played the hanks role the uncomfortableness that we feel about the power dynamic would be i mean and maybe this is just because i know about tom cruise's real life you know manipulation of his partners to the extent that the public knows about it so it just just rubs me the wrong way um but i feel like he would bring like a much darker and more intense energy to it that would make it especially uncomfortable if not playing that role then maybe the chappelle part
0: Mm.
3: Yeah, definitely.
2: Or the Greg Kinnear part. There's actually not a ton of options, I feel like, in this. There's not a ton of, like, other male characters.
1: Especially with enough weight or screen time to, you know, justify cast, yeah, a, a Tom Cruise. Cruise. Yeah. Liam, what about you? Do you think that he would work in the Tom Hanks part?
3: No. No, I don't think he would. I, th- I think sinister is the right word. I just, I think Tom Cruise is a bit too intense to put off that kind of, um, charm that Tom Hanks brings, but I I definitely do see him in, like, the the Chappelle role, especially when, um, he's being quite arrogant about how well he's got the, the bookstore running.
1: In a way, it feels like it's more of a Tom Cruise role than a Tom Hanks role,
0: I think. Yeah, yeah, just, like, just, like, on the page, right? Right, because it's, like, the,
1: it's the manipulation, it's the power dynamic, it's the high-level, you know, wealthy executive, uh, I mean, especially coming off of Lions for Lambs, where Tom Cruise played the uh, the presidential hopeful the senator, where we're like, why is he not always in these kind of roles? And we're thinking back to, you know, like to The Firm and to Jerry Maguire. It's a Tom Cruise role in a Tom Hanks movie, which I feel like we've seen before. It's
0: It's a weird blend of the two. Yeah, and maybe that was sort of the The key was to like write it that way but but act it this way right whereas I think Cruz cast it this way yeah yeah, because I think Cruz would have acted whatever was like on the page and it would have like you got like everyone's saying like I think he would have it would have been darker without even trying just in general but yeah I think it's whatever you know it's it's what Hanks brings it's it's what Meg Ryan's bringing it's what Nora Ephron's bringing it's what they're all bringing together I think that that sort of saves the script yeah
3: I just got distracted um thinking like of a movie that I want to see where you keep the title the same it's still you've got mail but you have Tom Cruise playing the Meg Ryan character (laughs)
2: Uh
0: there's the remake yeah yes I like that I like that
1: another important question I I think the answer could be a a negative I don't know We started the podcast, Liam, by asking in every movie, does Tom Hanks do anything in this movie to set him on the road to becoming America's dad? And we've established over the last five or ten movies that, like, he is now officially, firmly America's dad. We are in the middle of like a ten-year stretch of movies where he's only making great movies. Where these are the movies that people, like, basically people fell in love with him. I think in the '80s for the comedies, but these are the ones that, like, a generation of people, like, sort of to a certain extent, like, like us, grew up on. And so we've changed it now to under the assumption that he is America's dad. Does he do anything? That sets him on the road to, like, or waver from that. And I feel like he's good to his aunt and to his brother, but that's a very small part of this movie. It feels like he's not a good guy in this. Like, I know that he's supposed to be this romantic ideal, and maybe that's kind of the joke if if we're trying to buy into Kara's, I don't know if I'm using the right word, but shade and fraud, like, just trying to convince ourselves that, like, hey, this is okay. But it feels like, no, like, he's maybe not America's dad in this, and I, I don't know that he's a good person. Thoughts?
2: Uh, Well, yeah, I think he at this point in his career in this movie is playing against type is maybe the wrong phrase, because in a lot of ways, he still is a very similar character to those that he's played in the past. But there is that element of duplicity and deception and just being generally a bad person that it is not consistent with the roles that he has taken up to this point, at least in recent films
0: yeah this feels a little like mirror mirror version hanks like where's his good right. tea where's yes. his you know yeah. he's coming off kind of colder than i was expecting and that threw me as well so
3: i think as well like he he never has any comeuppance for anything yeah. that he does in it
2: there you no, go he suffers absolutely no consequences whatsoever oh, yeah. for the deception or for you know running a small business out of town multiple small businesses it sounds like
0: I want Steve Zahn to come in at the last minute with, like, I was at the zoning board and they forgot to fill out this form and, like, we can close them down. (laughs) Hooray.
2: I saw in the IMDb trivia that Heather Burns, since this film, has actually petitioned multiple times for local New York City bookstores. Oh, So, if anything, it would be her.
1: Very cool. All right. Time for the... Tom Hanks awards The Woodies the best and the worst of Hanks for the Memories best film worst film I think we're going to have to say neither I think this is kind of comfortably in the middle somewhere right I mean we nominated Sleepless Mike but I don't think we can have Sleepless and
0: this both in the best films correct especially since I can't decide yet which one I like more like I can't definitively say this is better.
1: Now, best role, worst role. Is there something, again, I think it's kind of like he's kind of a little bit of an asshole in this movie. I don't know that it qualifies for either best or worst, but thoughts, is this one of Tom Hanks' best or worst roles?
3: What's the cannibal of what's on worst role so far? So
1: worst role so far we have uh, from three movies that probably, unless you're a Tom Hanks completist, you might not have seen, but his roles in Nothing in Common, Every Time We Say Goodbye and Punchline.
3: Yeah, I'm not familiar with any of those, but okay. You're better off.
2: I wouldn't necessarily nominate it for best role but i think that delicate balance that we were talking about of him being an asshole but also still being kind of warm cuddly hanks um i think that's really challenging and and i wanted just to acknowledge that this is probably a hard thing to pull off sure but not a not a best role I think this is
0: the kind of stuff we're getting close to Joey when I was not really complaining, but always saying how like, I wish he did more horror or was cast as more like villainous people and Mm -hmm. stuff because, because when he's against type, you're still not, you're still kind of with him or at least when he's this, when he's this lightly against type or whatever.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, what's so disturbing about it is that like you want to like him and you want to believe him, but actually he's kind of a monster maybe. Um, But yeah, I mean, and yes, you could absolutely read this as a horror movie if you wanted to.
1: And that's definitely something we've talked about, Mike, on maybe on the Hanks podcast, but especially I think on the Tom Cruise podcast and other ones. But like there's a shorthand that casting an actor like this in your movie allows for, right? It's just like you cast Tom Hanks because people bring the baggage, both good and bad, but mostly in this case good, of a Tom Hanks to your part. And so you should still characterize your character and like give him traits and abilities and whatever. But at the same time, everybody knows Tom Hanks, and they're kind of assuming either whether you're gonna play into that or play against it, they already have a basis for what that character. You Theory is. I agree with you, and I think if if he was more apt, or more prone to play the kind of parts that don't fit his personality, I think it would be interesting because you're so on board with him in the beginning. Like you could you could set up like imagine spoilers for Get Out, but imagine if he was like the Bradley Whitford role, right? Like we're just like you know that he is like you you assume that he's like this great guy. Like I would have I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could have or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like oh shit, like no, it's that kind of like empathy that you have for him immediately. Like it helps you sell it, and then it turns you're like oh no, like he's he's a monster and. Like, I feel dirty now. Yes. Most Wasted Hank's performance, I'm going to say no. Best Ensemble? We can, we nominated Sleepless. Is this
2: another best
1: ensemble?
2: I think it's better than Sleepless in Seattle in regards to, I feel like there's just a lot more group, inter, like ensemble interaction in this. You know, whereas it was a more kind of siloed. Um, ensemble cast in the last one.
1: Do you think we should remove, Mike? Should we remove Sleepless and put this on? Yeah, remove and replace. All right. Best fight. Does he get into a... uh, He doesn't get into like a fist fight in here, right? No. Didn't think so. Best dance scene. Does he dance? I don't think they dance either. Best party scene. There's a party, but it's not like noteworthy. It's just there's like the moments, like the caviar moment, but... Best Hank's outfit wardrobe. I'm going to say no. Best death. He does not die. Best line or best freak out. Like, I feel like the... If people remember lines from this movie, and I'm be wrong, they're not his lines. Like, it's the Meg Ryan line at the end. Like, I don't know that he says anything here.
2: He does have a freak out, though, which is when they're outside the cafe, when he's going to go in for the first time, and he has Dave Chappelle up on the steps looking in and telling him who's there. And I think he says, like, she's, like, pretty or whatever. And he, like, gets up on the fence and, like, shakes it and is like, I knew
3: she was going
1: to be pretty. I'll say, uh, first date nerves. The soundtrack theme score, no, right? Best or Worst Love Story. Now, we have Best Love Story, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in Joe vs. the Volcano. We did not nominate Sleeps in Seattle because it's not really... Again, this is like a... It's a weird love story where, like, Meg Ryan is in love with an idea of a person. She doesn't know who the person is. And then Tom Hanks is as well for half the movie. And then he falls in love with her. Like, it's a weird... It's not a traditional love story. Again, we could nominate, but I don't know if we should.
0: Yeah, especially since, like, I don't know if it's got legs, this relationship necessarily. Like, you know, I, I give them maybe, like, eight months tops
2: oh i give them 16 hours
0: is it
1: worse love story or no i mean i don't even think it qualifies because it's not bad it's just it, like, it's not even gonna it's not even gonna begin
2: yeah just
1: not really worthy and then uh best non-hanks actor male or female we do have meg ryan already for joe vs. volcano sleepers in seattle and you've got male. anybody else do want to nominate
0: i don't know i'll leave it to you guys i i, I gushed over meg ryan in the beginning so that's where my vote i think is firmly there
2: yeah i mean she's the best Part about this. She's the best thing in this movie.
1: Well then we have three nominees. We have Best Ensemble, Best Freak Out, and then Meg Ryan for her three movie Stretch here on Hangs from the Memories. But, you know, pretty good showing, I think. Next episode, we have Toy Story Two, which is a quite a pivot from this in a way. And then we're going to pivot again to the Green Mile. So Tom hanks is all over the place here in the nineties. But yeah, next episode is going to be Toy Story Two. So I think we're gonna have a few more nominations for that than for this one. But uh good movie. Mike, if you're if, if in a year if you're you're like I want a Tom Hanks rom-com, are you gonna
0: put on this? You're gonna put on Sleepless, or is it gonna depend on the, uh, depend upon the mood? I think you know what? That's interesting. I think. Ultimately, I'd put this on again first because really? okay. Sleepless in Seattle makes me a little sad sometimes. You know, like, it's got, like, it brings the tears.
2: The premise of it is much sadder. Um, and there there's at no point in this movie does, like, the the tone or the mood of it ever even kind of, like, approach the basic premise of that movie. Um, and I also, I laughed, a lot, like, out loud a lot more in this one, I think. Okay.
3: I feel like I need to see Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs>
2: You're, it's
1: gonna make you want to go to New York again because it it weirdly winds up in New York. Okay,
3: wasn't expecting that. Yeah.
1: No, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it makes a little sense, but it also doesn't make any sense. Um, but Liam, thank you so much for joining us. Sorry that you have not come to America. come to. Have you been in America?
3: Yeah, California.
1: Oh, I think I think I maybe I knew that, but I'm sorry that you've not come to New York. But you know, if you but come to New day. York, you've got uh, you've got friends in us, so we could take you on the Tom Hanks tour. Ooh, we'll take you underground to the Pardew layers of mazes and monsters. But Liam, thank you so much for joining us. You have a couple podcasts that are no longer active. But if people want more of you, you have uh, Nerd on Nerd and Criterion Crack. That people could go like, are those, do those still exist? Or do those still live online? Are they have they been expunged from the internet?
3: Um, Nerd on Nerd is still on YouTube. And I think, yeah, Criterion Crack you can still find around.
1: Cool. Well, go check those out. And uh, anything else? If, if people want to find you, is there like uh, your letterbox, your Twitter, anywhere that people want to find more of your uh, your dulcet uh, British tones?
3: Um Yeah, it's just at Liam Underwood on Twitter. So it's really easy to find.
1: Pretty easy indeed. Uh, Carol, what about you? Uh, please uh, thank you for, uh, first of all, of course, thank you for being here. But um, if people want to hear more of you, can you plug a little bit of uh, Wistful Thinking? And do you have a theme yet for February? Because this is now this episode comes out in February. Do you know what you're, what you and Jordan are doing uh, in February for wistful thinking?
2: Yeah, um, I think we're we're gonna go with a, a theme of surrealism for for February, so um, the first episode, we're going to be watching a few Louis Well films and the second one, I want to uh, maybe do teach Jordan a little bit about some fine art in the surrealism realm. But while I am still talking, I have this movie on in the background and it occurred to me just a moment ago that maybe one of the other things that you should have been tracking this whole time is is Hanks and Boats. Mm. So many boats right so i did splash definitely boats in that one i did sleepless in seattle does he live on a boat in that i think he does and then in this one he winds up living on a boat too and then we know that he's going to be uh, captain phillips
0: yeah and jovers the volcano ends up on that boat Castaway, away all he wants is a boat
2: oh yeah see so me and H- hanks have something in common we like boats boat cast boat cast But yes. Um, If you want to go back in time and listen to old episodes of Wistful Thinking, not this past summer, but the summer before, we did boat movies. Uh, So we covered Titanic. We covered uh, one of my personal favorites, Waterworld, Speed 2. What was that one with Nicole Kidman where she was on a boat? Oh, oh, Dead Calm. What a great movie. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah, go check out Whistle Thinking. There's like 70-something episodes, I think, of Whistle Thinking. So there's lots of episodes, and Mike and I are on a handful of those. But Mike, next week, over on Cruise Club, you and I have Tropic Thunder on our other, our alternate, I feel like, I don't know if we talk about it explicitly enough, but like every other Friday, when there's no Hanks for the Memories episode, there's a Cruise Club episode. And so next Friday, you and I are talking about Tropic Thunder, and then in two weeks, we'll be back here, like I said, for Toy Story 2. So a couple wildly different movies from You've Got Mail coming up very soon. Tropic Thunder over on Cruise. Club next week and then Toy Story Two right here on Hanks for the Memories in two weeks. But for all things, Hanks for the Memories, you can go to CageClub.me, Facebook.com slash cage club or at cage club pod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, Hanks, at cage Like I said, come back in two weeks for Toy Story Two. We've got almost thirty episodes of the show so far, so go check those out at CageClub.me or wherever you get podcasts. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Mansey. And that was Cara gale Regan of Wistful Thinking and also Liam Underwood. And we'll see you next time right here on Hanks for the Memories. Go to
0: the mattresses.